and Ron Heron for AM 1290. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duvernay, your hosts, every week right here at AM 1290, repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and Montecito's Upper Village, and Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you doing today? Well, it's sort of... uh, Groundhog Day-ish? Well, I'm kind of lost because I finished the crown last night, and now I have nothing to do. The and, hours that you must fill. I know. And, you know, uh, I'm kind of shocked by the behavior of the royals. Um, and, uh, you know, as you know, one of my neighbors is one of the royals. And I'm thinking of uh, going over there and telling them that I really feel badly for the issues that they have to face based upon at least the, the, the show. I'm assuming the show is completely true. Okay, do me a favor because I want to keep you as my co-host and friend. Don't go over. <laughs> Anywho, well, we have a guest today, and we are thrilled to welcome to the show Eric Kildall. He's a business consultant and advocate for clean energy. Eric, thanks so much for being with us. Great to be here. So the first article I have uh, today from the Wall Street Journal is entitled, Tesla's S&P 500 debut is set to be put in a $100 billion trade in motion. Now, as we've talked about uh, several times over the years, when a stock is uh, selected to be in any of the indices, all of the uh, uh, funds that track a particular index has to buy that stock. And um, the uh, usual result is there is some little uh, improvement in the stock's price because of all that buying power. But because and this is the first time this has ever happened, because Tesla is so large relative to all the other stocks in the S&P, it's, it will be the fourth or fifth largest stock in the S&P. Uh, they've never had one that is that disproportionate to the rest of the S&P. And as a result, <clears throat> they're expecting some real issues. Um, and the way the article puts it, Tesla's inclusion is expected to put more than $100 billion into motion index funds will have to sell smaller stocks already in the S&P 500, somewhere between 60 and 80 billion, depending upon what Tesla's market cap is on that day, in order to buy shares in the car maker. So two things are gonna happen. One is you're going to have a great deal of excess demand for Tesla, and you're going to have some pressure put on other stocks so that the funds have the liquidity to buy Tesla. And um, the, Irony of all this is that in the past, when big stocks were put into the S&P, and the last one that of, of note was Yahoo back in 1999, there was a problem, again, not as big as this one, where uh, prior to the, or during the uh, introduction, uh, Yahoo's market capitalization peaked. But after uh, a week or two or three, when this uh, demand ceased, 
Yahoo stock went down. So uh, because there was no longer this excess demand. So this is going to provide some problems uh, for investors, you know, knowing whether or not one of the stocks, Tesla, is too high and the other stocks they're selling is too low. And so one of the things that the S&P is considering, and they're going to let us know, I believe, tomorrow, is whether or not for the first time, rather than to introduce the stock in one day, they may do it over two days, separated by a few days in order to relieve some of the pressure. That's interesting. Although I wonder if, you know, it might all be for naught, given that Tesla at the end of August was anticipated to be joining the index at that time, um, that there was some of that, you know, uh, increase of the stock price in, in ahead of it being added. And then it went down a little bit after it was announced that they wouldn't be added because of some other technical issues. Yeah, it could be, but I think they're concerned, concerned enough to have spent, apparently the article says three or four meetings with all of the important participants in the S and P last week, trying to figure out whether to go with one day or two days. Well, well what's interesting about that is that, you know, you have you have Tesla entering this index and it's a very expensive stock. I want meaning it costs more than than most of the others. So when you look at it and you say, OK, well, is it it's now going to hit the you know fifth largest in the index? It's just going to further skew that index into a, a technology index. Yes. From from what used to be an overall market. A, a good indicator of the overall U.S. market. Of course, it will probably make it even more relevant to the market because, as we know, the FANG stocks have outperformed everybody else. So it will make the S&P more representative of what the market's really doing. Uh, the next article, also from the Wall Street Journal, is about the payroll tax deferral. And if you recall, uh, in order to boost the economy over the short term, without the Senate and the, and the House agreeing with him, Trump uh, deferred, let companies defer payroll taxes for the fourth quarter and uh, uh, promised that if he were elected president, he would ask that that deferral be made permanent. Well, right now, the issue is up to the Congress to see whether what they should do. Nobody really knows how and when this deferral will be made permanent, if at all. And so what it's going to do is it will create a hardship on those companies and uh, those individuals that had their payroll taxes reduced for the fourth quarter as they're going to have substantial increases in their payroll taxes in the first quarter. And ironically, most industrial companies didn't do it, but the government did, and that includes the military. So there's added pressure because the suffer, suffering groups will probably be, besides government workers, the military, and Congress hates to penalize the military. So that's another thing to look out for. Well, the whole thing was a little, um, you know, anybody who, who wants to give you something now and then have it all come due in the beginning of the year, it's just prolonging the pain. And as Americans, we aren't notorious for being really good savers. And so even if you had that money and it was helping you in, you know, September, October now, you're still going to have to pay it. And that payroll tax is what funds Social Security. Sort of like marriage, isn't it? There's sort of this heightened enthusiasm in the beginning. And then by the end, there's some some price. To, I don't know. It just seems to me. Well, you're further along than me. We'll have, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll have, to, we'll have to figure that one out, Neil. Uh, the next article is sort of esoteric. Uh, but interesting, and that is um, 
how this is from the New York Times, how property booms eat our economy. Uh, this October, U.S. housing sales hit their highest level since 2006. In the short term, such investment is a boost to economic activity. But the downside is that, and there's a study, and this is why the article came out this week, uh, by an economist at the International Settlement Fund that said that uh, persistently uh, high uh, uh, prices in uh, real estate values makes it easier for real estate companies to borrow and buy more real estate. And, and this is where the interesting part of this article comes in. Uh, real estate companies have lower productivity than industrial companies. And so what happens in this kind of environment is you're shifting uh, uh, assets, that is uh, financial assets, uh, by the ability to borrow more money if you're a real estate company away from more productive industrial companies. And that could have a negative impact on productivity and therefore uh, economic growth. Right. And if you think about it, what happens is, is when they, when their balance sheet grows because the assets on their balance sheet get larger and then they leverage against it and continue to leverage. If it, if it does, um, end in a bubble bursting type of type of scenario, it really puts those companies in, in, the, in the hot water. Uh, the last article is the pleasure of phasing into retirement. And this is an article that- um, <laughs> Tell us about this, Neil. Could you have well, written this article? I did not write the article, but it's sort of ironic that the, <laughs> the person who wrote it is a freelance writer uh, who says that in order to uh, phase into retirement, you need to set up some, as he calls it, uh, separate gigs to support uh, some of the expenditures that you really can't uh, provide from your savings. And so here he is talking about retirement and uh, is making a little bit extra money writing about retirement. But anyway, he says that uh, 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 the uh, the route to partial retirement is a good one because it permits you to get, as he said, get your foot and toe in the water and see how you like it. But he said there are a few conditions that have to be met before you could even consider it. That is your mortgage is paid off, car was paid off, your 521, if you have one, is fully funded, uh, you've lined up some, some extra work, uh, and your savings are there, that the 401k and your pension and IRA, whatever you have, is reasonably comfortable. And uh, he says one of the most important things you need to do is to calculate how much you spend each year. And that's the mistake most people make. They actually tend to spend more than they thought. And when they retire, they think they're going to spend less, but typically you don't. But I have one thing to add as someone who's been retired for well over 20 years, and that is you need to find another interest because if you retire, whether you're financially capable or not, and you don't have another interest, your brain, your brain to turn, uh, begins to rot. And uh, that's very painful. Rotting brain is- And not that's why you got into radio? That's why I got into radio. <laughs> I he, thought that's why you got into the uh, walking uh, dog parks and, and walk, enjoying all the beautiful dog parks in the area. That's right. And that without, you know, when I first moved here, that was all my friends came from walking, walking dogs. So I would recommend among all of the things he lists, uh, getting a dog is certainly one of the most important things you can do. Uh, you're listening. In all to... Go ahead. Sorry. I was Go just going to say, in all seriousness, though, when you think about retirement, you really want to want to look towards 
what you are going to do at when, when you do retire. Because if you, if your goal in retirement is to just not do anything, people tend to get old very quickly, meaning they lose their, their stamina, their, their ability of for critical thinking. And both of those things are really important to be living a productive, purpose-filled life in retirement. And so oftentimes you get people to the, or I, I'm fortunate enough to help people get to the point where they can retire and they choose not to retire because they haven't answered those questions of what that retirement's going to look like and how they're still going to have purpose and meaning in their life. And the flip side of that, of course, and I've seen a lot of this as well, is that people just can't retire. And, you know, in the, the last day of their life, they're still working, which is also, I think, problematic. Are uh, you listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSP? And we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. The Foundation for Santa Barbara City College is a nonprofit organization which supports our own Santa Barbara City College. The Foundation for Santa Barbara City College, or SBCC, funds scholarships, child care, book grants, and other programs. Without these, many students simply would not be able to attend college. There is an amazing range of academic and vocational studies offered at City College, which encourage students to find their passion and their talents. As a donor to the Foundation, you have the power to change lives. Please help our community college by donating to the Foundation for SBCC. Call 730-4401 or visit us at sbccfoundation.org to find out how you can help. That's 730-4401 or sbccfoundation.org. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290 if you have any questions, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So if you're just joining us, we have Eric Kildall with us. Um, and he is a business consultant and advocate for clean energy. So Eric, tell us what brought you from Montana to Santa Barbara? Well, um, my girlfriend uh, ended up coming to Santa Barbara and choosing it over a few different schools, uh, Miami, University of Washington, 
for grad school to get a first a master's at the Bren School at UCSB and then uh, moving forward from there, a PhD in political science. And um, so Santa Barbara being, uh, you know, fairly idyllic, it uh, wove its charms on us. And here we are 12 years later. <laughs> and it's been great. You know, we've enjoyed it much. And, um, you know, it's kind of uh, offers everything, you know, the small town aspect, so to speak, uh, which is similar to what we're a little bit used to in Montana. And, uh, of course, all the wonderful aspects of uh, mountain biking, road biking, dog parks, beach, all those great things uh, make it hard to uh, hard to move away. So now asset business consultant, how did you get involved in, in that? Well, I originally, uh, long story, I'll try and make it super quick. But uh, after college, I decided to become Jimmy Buffett for a while and uh, went down. <laughs> did to, you say you, you decided to become Jimmy Buffett? Yeah, as close as I could you went possibly down to be. Well, yeah. So I, uh, I have a captain's license. Uh, and I got certified to be a scuba diving instructor and spent a year working on two different liverboards in the British Virgin Islands. And probably my only regret is I maybe should have done that for a year or two longer. Uh, <laughs> but uh, decided to come back to the States and um, actually ended up teaching diving in Montana, of all places, during the wintertime for four or five years as I was figuring out what, uh, what uh, twists I would, roads I would take, what turns in the road would allow me uh, to move into the business world. So after certifying 300 students, uh, realized you can't really uh, have much of a career doing that financially. So I had an opportunity uh, with a mortgage company in Chicago in 1998 and uh, worked for a residential mortgage company that was a retail division of a publicly traded bank at the time. And uh, that was a phenomenal experience for me. Loved uh, my time in Chicago and uh, went out, had my own mortgage company for a couple of years and kind of ended up in the business consulting world with always interested in numbers, loved math, and had a couple of referrals that were sent to me on people looking for uh, loans for uh, large uh, hotels and also uh, apartment complexes. And so that kind of led to one thing to another. And there was some, it was fortunate to have some good success in that regard. And then uh, always liked talking about business ideas, talking to business people who were, had plans, what they were trying to implement. And, uh, I've been working in that regard, helping them out as a consultant for probably 15 years. And then what really captivated me, though, the more that time goes on, uh, something that just felt right to focus on is clean energy technologies. They're certainly super interesting from a scientific standpoint. Um, if you look at all the problems going on around the world, uh, so many issues with environmental pollution, landfills, plastics, and uh, that was always a, um, a real point of, of interest to me. So now, so the companies that you consult for, are they primarily U.S.-based or are they international? Uh, some international, but primarily U.S.-based. And, um, and that's worked out well, you know, and, and, you know, I've been, you know, everybody's uh, working remotely now or, or more people are working remotely, I should say, in the year of COVID and, and Zoom call related. It made us all realize we could, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got, so I, you knew I've, that secret long ago. Yeah, I started in uh, 2002, I guess, probably 2003. And it's been nice. And so, you know, with I haven't had any constraints. I really don't work a lot in uh, one specific area. And I work all over the country. I work with, a lot with people on the East Coast. So I 
I do have the uh, time zones to deal with, but that's a, that's a minor issue. And um, people like it when you say you're from Santa Barbara or you're working in Santa Barbara for some reason, even, even if they're not aware of it, they, something that kind of rings in the back of their mind. They think that's kind of interesting or at least worth talking about. So uh, it's been fun to work with people all over the country and, and internationally. And our international works primarily in, uh, in Europe at this point. You know, what's so interesting about that last statement is when I was uh, working in New York, uh, New York um, and some of the big cities were very snobbish. And that is, if you were working in a small town, uh, they tended to look uh, down upon you. Uh, and so, you know, the world has changed now. And uh, particularly with, you know, communications and the fact that so many people are escaping to smaller towns, uh, you don't have the same impediment that people will look differently upon you if you're not, you know, walking down Park Avenue, but you're walking along the beach. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, it's interesting how people view that. And uh, when you say you're from Montana, too, that uh, that's something that always opens a door to they find it interesting. You know, so you can, you can speak in full sentences. And uh, you, you seem to you seem to uh, be kind of normal, even though you're from a, a small town, so to speak. Of course, if I ask you what Diane asked you, what did you do before? And you said you taught scuba diving in Montana. They would think <laughs> that you're, you're, you're just putting them on. Um, so it must be very cold scuba diving in Montana. Well, there's a couple of uh, intricacies to that. You know, it's actually not that different, as you might find this kind of funny, than, than diving in the Channel Islands. Um, the waters may be 10 degrees cooler, but once you have a full wetsuit on, you really uh, don't notice that too much. And primarily what we were doing up in, in Montana, on just a side note, is there's an awful lot of people that, and this would be true uh, in all over the northern U.S. and certainly people in Canada, there's there a lot of people that learn how to scuba dive uh, there uh, with the idea of taking, you know, winter vacations to Hawaii or Mexico or the Caribbean or South Pacific. And um enjoying all the wonders that a, a tropical coral reef has. But uh, yeah, it gets a little cold, but you know, you get used to it. And again, Channel Islands water is not, not, uh, not that warm, really. You are listening yeah. to money. You're listening to money talk on AM 1290 KZSB. And we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jeff Devine from American Riviera Bank. All of our customers were once just like you, stuck with a bank that kept charging more for less. But when they finally made the decision to change banks, American Riviera Bank made the move easy with mobile deposit, online banking, free use of every ATM in the country, and a level of customer service that other banks dream of. Come in and make the move today in our downtown Santa Barbara or Montecito Upper Village branches. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people. Did you know that errors and infections in hospitals are the third leading cause of death in the U.S.? That's a frightening statistic, but some hospitals are better at protecting their patients than others. That's why the nonprofit watchdog, the LeapFrog Group, created the hospital safety grade, a letter grade that's assigned by experts twice a year to all general hospitals in the country. The hospital safety grade is based strictly on patient safety. Each A, B, C, D, or F rates just how well a hospital protects its patients from errors, injuries, and infections. These mistakes kill or harm millions of Americans every year, and hospitals that put safety first protect more of their patients from these avoidable mistakes. That's why it's important to know which hospitals in your area are the safest, as well as to seek out hospitals with an A grade whenever possible. You can see how your local hospitals did for free 
and get tips on staying safe by visiting hospitalsafetygrade.org. That's hospitalsafetygrade.org. This is Joel Block. And I'm Deborah Bird for Earth and Sky, your clear voice for science, nature, and people in a complex world. Our radio program covers a wide array of topics, including astronomy, oceanography, earth science, the environment, and sustainability. You can hear Earth and Sky daily in Santa Barbara right here on AM 1290, the Santa Barbara News Press radio station. Money Talk brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So Eric, tell us about the types of clients that you have and the type of work that you do in your consulting. Well, I've had clients in a lot of different business fields, um, but moving forward, what I really for me, what was most intriguing, as we mentioned earlier, was just a subject to clean energy and things that could be uh, profitable, have to be profitable in a business, obviously, uh, but also do something really positive that was fun and enjoyable and a lot of people could relate to. So um, the, that emphasis and that criteria took me to working in the clean energy arena. And there's uh, so many exciting things out there and there's such a problem uh, as everybody knows, uh, with landfills that have been profiled in the media quite a bit in the last, well, I mean, you could look at the last 40 years, but certainly last five or six years with all the problems with pollution in our landfills and uh, solutions to that, that uh, technology will provide. And so looking at ways to, to work with within that field was really um, super interesting. And then the idea of the increasing uh, electricity that's needed by you know, every country in the world on a yearly basis, whether it's first world countries or developing countries. And so to, to focus on that uh, was just super interesting to me. So can you talk so, about this? This You have a really interesting client, Estec, which, um, you know, has a business that seems to solve all of the world's problems in one, in one big box. Well, it's kind of interesting, their background. It's, uh, it's really phenomenal and unique in that uh, they've been working on MSW, municipal solid waste technology, for 22 years. And they have a technology that takes products that are in our normal trash that are non-metallic and uh, breaks those down with very, very little environmental emissions, emissions that are far below any California standards, uh, EPA standards or EU standards and produces clean electricity. So it literally cleans up the landfill. So you're not uh, putting all this garbage, so to speak, into the landfill, but it generates electricity just like a nuclear power plant would, so to speak, or a coal-fired power plant using the heat that is uh, given off uh, when the municipal solid waste is treated and produces uh, phenomenal amounts of clean electricity that's highly profitable without government subsidies. So, wow, that's, that's really big, especially given that chi- the Chinese market has really dried up for recyclables and you know at anything that we put in our recycle bin, if this could be transitioned, uh, you know, many articles have 
outlined how China, China's trash is now going to other Southeast Asian countries and they're just burning it and creating the pollution that comes along with that. This really could revolutionize the way waste management is done in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you mentioned, the problem with, with plastics specifically um, and with uh, the demand of what China was helping us with before in terms of getting rid of our plastics, basically. Um, and the plastics are phenomenal for, from a clean energy standpoint because they actually really increase the amount of electricity that's generated um, in the process of treating them. And so plastics are really, really sought after. And of course, if you look at all the pollution problems with plastics in our oceans, in our rivers, in our lakes, uh, and that can affect drinking, you know, it affects every uh, part of, of the agricultural process, uh, water treatment, wastewater treatment, and of course problems in the ocean with, with marine life. It's just it phenomenal. With so us it's a great humans. technology. I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. I said in problems with humans and how, you know, we, we all now have such a large amount of plastic microbes in our bodies. You know, what's interesting about this, Eric, it seems to solve two problems. It's not just one. One is it provides for cheaper electric and two, it provides for uh, a way of getting rid of uh, our our garbage without pollution. And uh, what you didn't mention, but I understand is that the byproduct of this process results in a non-organic uh, residual that can actually be used like for concrete and other matters. So you're, you're, you're really doing, you're killing two birds with one stone, not just doing one would be great, but two is really terrific. Yeah, the, the byproduct as you mentioned uh, can be a, a building block and foundations for uh, various things with road construction, housing construction. Uh, it's a material that's left over uh, as a uh, byproduct, as you said, from the uh, waste treatment process. And the other thing that's really viable about the technology, the other thing that it does that's super important is for municipalities that uh, obviously all over the United States, all over the world that have to fund whatever they're doing with their garbage. It actually takes that from being a financial expenditure to where they can actually have profit as a municipality from the electricity that's generated as it's sold back to the grid and it's sold back at a very low point uh, cost-wise to where it's very cost-effective. So that on top of everything else makes it a, a real win for all involved, which is unique. So, so how far along, go ahead. No. no, you go ahead. Go ahead. How far along is the technology in terms of being able to be rolled out on a, on a mass, you know, mass either U.S. or world uh, scale? Well, the technology is market ready, which is what's great. And it's had through various different uh, partnerships and, and private money that's uh, been involved in the technology. It's had over $150 million put into refining the technology in the last 22 years. There's been three different plants in Europe that has, have utilized the technology and um, over, and that's been in the last 15 years. So all of that said, it's market ready, which is incredibly viable. It's the right time. Um, the other thing that's super important as we move forward, and we can talk about it later if we have time, but it also is a phenomenal technology for treating non-hazardous medical waste. And that's a very expensive proposition for hospitals. And especially with COVID and other related scenarios going on, it does that without the emissions of simply 
burning non-hazardous medical waste, which is something that uh, is not good for the environment. It's necessary to get rid of the medical waste. We can treat that and again, have clean electricity as a, uh, as a product. So why isn't this on the front page of the Wall Street Journal? Well, it's been, if you do some looking on MSW technology uh, research on it, you'll see there's several different companies in the U.S. that are working on uh, bringing this technology to a market-ready standpoint. But there's several years behind what we've done with STEC and what STEC has done. It's just absolutely phenomenal because uh, it's the right time in the right place. And maybe from a, a marketplace, it really wasn't the right time seven, eight years ago. Uh, but it certainly is now we're receiving a lot of interest, uh, both domestically and, and worldwide. And the cost per unit both uh, for both ends, from the uh, garbage removal and, and from the electric production, forgetting the, uh, the uh, ecological benefits, but from just a, a cost standpoint, they're, they're very competitive, aren't they? Yeah, the actually electricity that's produced is... If it's not the lowest per kilowatt, it's among the lowest that uh, is available in the marketplace. So it, it's advantageous in, in every regard for a municipality to uh, process their, their waste in this regard. So now if, if there's a municipality looking to, to get into this technology, what would they do? How would they even go about uh, contacting you you simply give us a call or send us an email. Uh, and uh, we, we have lots of people that are interested in implementing our technology, both in the U.S., Western Europe, and other parts of the world now. And uh, we're uh, aggressively looking for people that uh, want to partner with us and move forward. And we have several large companies that are interested in uh, licensing our technology worldwide as well. So why would what, would, what would be the hesitation? You know, I hear this and I think, oh, wow, this seems perfect, a solution that, that helps our planet, um, what would cause a municipality to, to take pause and potentially not go with something along these lines? Well, you know, it's hard to say. Um, I guess all governments, even small, even smaller at a municipality level, don't move quickly. And um, we have a proven technology, which is great. Uh, what we do need is, you know, a contract to to come in at 10 or 20 years to process their, their waste for them, which is not uncommon in the, in the waste management world. But um, that's the biggest thing. But I, to be quite honest, the main thing is simply not knowing the facts of what's available and what options are available for municipalities, uh, again, whether it's in the States or in Europe or around the world. And really it's more information than anything else at this point. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. 
please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mind. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. (laughs) Bet he can't say that in reverse. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. So before the break, we were learning about the technology that Aztec USA and International has in, in processing um, processing our waste, man- our waste that we create into electricity, as well as a byproduct that can be used in building. And so now when you when we talk about municipalities adopting or contracting with your company, would this be, in other words, cutting out our current garbage collectors now or is it in conjunction with? So would the, would the municipality have a contract with you and say Marburg who collects our garbage now or is it you and your outfit would handle everything? No, it would be, it can, it can be a little bit of both. It, it, it's, it's really open because it's more what happens with the garbage after the fact. So we would so have some sort of So walk us through that process. Contract. So you, your technology gets the trash and then what, what, what's the, what do you do with it to turn it into electro, electricity as well as the, the pulp that comes out? Yeah. The, the key thing, uh, without getting into, uh, a ton of scientific information instead of incineration. So if you, that's where you actually burn trash, which is done around the world. And that's what's done with a lot of uh, medical waste, but this is a gasification process. So it, it breaks the trash down into their uh, smaller components when that's done, which is similar to if you burned it. Um, But when the gasification process takes place, heat is relate is released. And again, the reason plastics are such a positive thing is there's a lot of heat that's released when plastics are broken down. And so when the heat is released, then you have that heat being is used for generation of electricity, just like it would, again, heat from a coal, pot, coal, coal fire plant or a nuclear power plant. And, um, you know, if you were to look at a plant that would handle, not to get into too many specifics that may be boring for some people, but a plant that would would handle the garbage for a, a municipality of around 150,000 people, which would be approximately the size of Santa Barbara, greater area that would provide uh, electricity for around 1,000 to 1,200 homes, 24 hours a day year round. And so um, it doesn't completely by any means replace the electricity it's needed. 
but it's taking garbage that's normally causing problems sitting in a landfill and utilizing that to uh, produce clean electricity. And again, the important thing is that uh, this is uh, financially viable without government subsidies, without tax breaks, without carbon credits and that sort of thing. And those are all obviously beneficial, but from a financial standpoint, compared to a lot of other clean energy projects, having it financially uh, standing on its own two feet and profitable, not only for the municipality, but the other financial partners involved um, is a very key component that's unique. So what type of, are there a lot of costs to get a facility that can actually gasify, is it gasification? I don't even yes. know if that's a word. The gasification of the, of the trash, is, is, that the, is it uh, a lot of sunk costs into getting a facility that can do that? Yeah, so the cost for a facility like that's around 65 million, depending on what part of the world you're building it in. Um, but it does generate enough money that actually pays for itself uh, and produces a, a fair amount of profit even in the first 10 years. So it pays it off quite quickly and it does so well, still making money for the investors uh, that are involved with it as well. And then of course, once the plant is paid off in 10 years, then your, your profits increase from there. And the, and the people, the principals involved with this, um, they've worked with um, some pretty sophisticated people, including NASA. Yeah, the technology that's been developed, the scientists are, are you know, really uh, top shelf people and they've worked on uh, different projects with NASA and have a background working on NASA projects, which is phenomenal from a, uh, uh, the level of science and uh, professional background that goes into producing this technology. And it's not so much producing the technology, but refining it over the last 20 year, 22 years to where it's the best in the world for municipal solid waste gasification at this point. And um, so it's, it's very exciting and it, it does a lot of positive things for all involved, which again, from a business standpoint and an energy standpoint, you know, is very unique and, and uh, a lot of people are super interested in, in wanting to work and partner with us. So do you think that the new administration coming in next year will be beneficial to this cause? Well, it's hard to say, of course, you know, when the, when the rubber meets the road, but I, I would certainly think that, um, there will be more focus on it. And, you know, even, and after the year of COVID too, um, dealing with hazardous medical waste, uh, which is quite expensive for hospitals to treat. Um, and they're usually done just through incineration, which again, uh, does get rid of it, but it, you know, has more emissions in the atmosphere, carbon emissions primarily that aren't good. So uh, between COVID related things and just the increased demand of clean energy and obviously wanting to clean up the world's waters and, and, and land for that matter with plastics and other uh, municipal solid waste, it should be uh, something that's very, very viable, you know, as we're looking forward to the next 20 years of, of things that are be, gonna be going on technology around the world. What, what, know- what, what runs the, the plant though? Is it natural gas? Is it, is it uh, gasoline? I mean, what, what, what do you use and in going into the- Yeah, into it, the the, yeah good question. So the, the plant itself is self-powered by the electricity that it produces. So it's all done electrical. So, there's, so it's phenomenal in that regard. Okay, so in that way, you're, you're, you're going to get resistance from the natural gas producers, the, the oil industry, their, uh, their gut reaction would be if this were to become something that uh, was uh, significant, it would actually really be a, a threat to their business model. Well, 
You know, yes and no. I would imagine, you know, there's already interest from various oil companies in the industry as well and looking at adding different things to their portfolio. So that's very important. It's kind of like, um, you know, a lot of large agricultural companies now offer milk alternative products uh, and that sort of thing. So I think it's more of a complementary thing as opposed to adversarial. And it's just a matter of time before more and more clean, clean uh, energy technologies are utilized on a larger scale. And I'm sure some of the oil companies will diversify and, and become partners in these projects and so probably name, with us at some point. So the name of the company is Estec USA. Does that mean there is an Estec EU? In other words, do they have different companies all over the world or this is the main company? This is the main company and we have the technology completely outright uh, in terms of the rights and there's several patents with it. And, uh, you know, if there are parties that want to be interested, they can, or are interested, I should say, simply give us a call, whether it's a large corporation, investors, or municipalities, and uh, we'd be more than happy to uh, get specifics for them. So I, I understand that you've done all this research without any government grants or um, loans. It's all been privately funded. However, that said, you could take advantage of the fact that there are rebates for alternative energies as, as we go forward. You know, you get rebates for putting solar on your house and what have you. Is that something that will make the sunk cost to municipalities that much more palatable? Yeah, we'll, it, it, it certainly has the potential to be less and will be less. We just don't know exactly what those are. And of course, those will change in there depending on what state you're dealing with and region and municipality, those are going to be variables. But the good, the good news uh, is that it's all viable without those and, and uh, any tax credits, uh, carbon credits, uh, grants, those sorts of things just make it uh, even more financially viable than it is. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB and we'll be right back with our final segment. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. Hi, I'm Jeff Devine from American Riviera Bank. All of our customers were once just like you, stuck with a bank that kept charging more for less. But when they finally made the decision to change banks, American Riviera Bank made the move easy with mobile deposit, online banking, free use of every ATM in the country, and a level of customer service that other banks dream of. Come in and make the move today in our downtown Santa Barbara or Montecito Upper Village branches. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. <laughs> the dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? 
Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So Eric, tell us, what is the main goal that S-Tech has for um, this technology and, and how do you see it playing out? Well, the main goal that we have as a company is trying to get this technology implemented across the planet as efficiently as we can. Um, there's Again, we have a lot of interest in Europe and the United States and in some other uh, countries around the world, literally on six different continents at this point, we've had people express interest in, in the technology. So we want to make sure we're working with the right people moving forward because that's obviously a, a big job moving forward and working probably with a, a couple of large corporations that would like to partner with us to, again, have the same vision we have, which is simply this technology does a lot of good things for the individuals, does a lot of good individ, uh, things for the environment, a lot of uh, great things for municipalities or state or federal governments, depending on what level it is. And it simply needs to be out there in the marketplace. And with $150 million that's put into the refining of the technology at this point, it's market ready and proven, and um, we're just looking for the right people to uh, help us move it forward on a, on a global level. So at this point, you, you have actual physical plants in various places in Europe, correct? Yeah, there is, our technology is being used at three different plants in Europe right now, uh, and two primarily. So the technology is proven, and those things can all be looked at uh, in depth and what it is. And uh, we're in the process of building a couple of things here in the States. Uh, mainly from a, a demonstration plant. And then we have several municipalities that have reached out to us that would like the technology in the, in the U.S. as well. So uh, technology can be proven for anyone that's interested and they can see uh, what we've done the last 22 years with it. And again, there's other companies out there in the marketplace that are uh, working on this same type of problem of what do we do with our municipal solid waste, convert it to clean energy. We've just been at it for 22 years and are a few steps ahead, if not several years ahead of, of other technologies that are there. And so Procter & Gamble has been one of your partners on the, on the corporate side of things internationally. Now, do you see the, the right fit being a big corporate partner such as Procter & Gamble? Or do you see more of the individual municipalities or even a state, statewide um, you know, depending upon the size of the state uh, type of initiative, which do you see being a, a better or, or maybe it's a combination um, for a su successful outcome? Yeah, I think, you know, and, and that's a real good question. You know, how do you look in the crystal ball down the road and see what the absolute best is? But I think without a doubt, it'd probably be a combination. We would like to have some large corporate partners to move forward that, again, have the idea that this technology needs to be utilized because of all the positive things it does. And if that's the main focus, um, whether it's a corporation or a small municipality, the technology is great, it's proven, it's ready to move, it does all the, all the things that it should for the environment. And uh, But to have the, the right corporate par partner or maybe uh, a uh, two or three or four different ones, along with the smaller municipalities, I'm sure it'll be a combination. 
Yeah, I have to say in the U.S., primarily our waste management has been more of a government role, which is why I asked the question mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, private sector has come up with the technology and then it's moved into a public sector type of um, relationship. So it's, it's interesting to see that it, it could be some combination thereof. But, you so know, now, but, but, but what's really interesting, though, is that two things are in the press recently. One is that there's a dearth of good municipal bond offerings. And so communities are in a position now to offer uh, finicible bonds for things like this. And mm -hmm. there's an article, a couple of articles yesterday about the uh, protective, the PPE overflow from, and you mentioned it before, that there's excess PPP around because of the COVID fight. So you've got, you know, a couple of things that are from a macro standpoint that would be helpful. That is, you've got a, a real increasing need for something like this, and you've got a facility, which is municipal bonds that are very strong, and people are looking for uh, activities to issue municipal bonds for, because uh, right now there seems to be not enough good municipal bonds available. Yeah, that's correct. And the, the financing aspect of it, again, because it's profitable, it really makes it um, relatively simple in that regard and uh, or palatable for most municipalities to come move forward with. It's just uh, looking at a, uh, you know, a 10 or 20 year contract force to come in and, and uh, really make a positive impact on the on their individual municipality and, and state. Okay, both financially we're of, and environmentally. We're out of time, Eric. Thank you so much. Usually when we have a guest on that has a product, we say you can get it on Amazon, but I don't think you can get this on Amazon <laughs> yet. Uh, but you can get in touch with Eric. If you don't have his email, you can call us and we'll get you in touch with Eric. Thank you for listening. Thank you, uh, Eric, for being on. You've been listening to Money Talk and we'll see you all next week.